MSW Media. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello and welcome to episode 104 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It is Wednesday, January 18th, two days before my birthday. I'm Allison Gill <laughs> and I am joined. You know what I'd love for my birthday, Andrew? I'm joined by my friend, real life lawyer, real life person, real life human being, real life guy who cares about stuff. <laughs> Andrew Torres, not, how are you? Not, I am not a cat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am not a cat. Uh, uh, I'm sad we, we've we've uh, moved on and the days of a uh, cat lawyer appearing in court over Zoom have, um, uh, have mostly evaporated. So what would you most like for your birthday, Allison? Uh, I would like uh, indictments for- There you go. At least like Walt Nada or maybe a cooperation agreement. Um, you know, when we like a week or two ago, and I think it was Zoe Tillman in Bloomberg said that one of her sources told her that Jack Smith is getting ready to make some serious charging decisions, critical charging decisions, and it could be within weeks. I was hoping it would be on my birthday. So we'll see. I I would love to see that. That would uh, that would make your birthday. I mean, again, it's already January 20th, but it would make that a national holiday, I think, if uh, uh, all of a sudden that coincided with uh, the beginning of the end for Trump. Does that mean we would not have to talk about Donald Trump and the gross things that he does and says? Because um, I feel like that's where we're headed to today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that. <laughs> I, you know, I have to laugh. That's like it's getting to yeah. the point where that's all I can do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. You have much in common. So uh, big news that uh, broke late last week. Uh, Judge Kaplan in the uh, consolidated uh, Eugene Carroll libel and sexual assault cases against the former president, Donald Trump. Um, I, I should let me take a sidebar here and and give a content warning um, that, you know, we're going to try and and handle this uh as sensitively as possible um we're going to be talking about Eugene Carroll who alleges that uh Donald Trump sexually assaulted her and um if that's not a subject you want to hear about we totally understand if it's a subject you need uh a little bit of time on uh we uh we we totally understand so 
with that in mind, uh, on January 13th, uh, Judge Kaplan decided, uh, made a couple of rulings of consequence. I think the primary one that we're going to talk about today is the order unsealing a portion of various depositions uh, that were conducted of both the plaintiff, E. Jean Carroll, and of the defendant, Donald Trump, and that were attached uh, as exhibits to the party's proposed uh, case management plan, right, to Mm -hmm. sort of illustrate what kind of discovery was necessary. And uh, the one that people are focused on, and rightly so, is Exhibit B, uh, which contains um, portions of both Carol's and Trump's depositions. So uh, with that kind of setup, your thoughts, Allison? Well, I I was following along with these uh, release depositions, uh, looking not only reading them for myself and trying to sort of absorb what Trump said could mean for him legally, but also what some lawyers were pointing out uh, on on social media, like um, uh, is Lisa Rubin is that her name? Uh huh. And that's the law of Ruby on Twitter. Uh, and also uh, some of the things Joyce Vance was saying and some of the other, you know, some just the attorneys that I follow in general. Uh, and I was personally just through reading it myself, very shocked at some of the things he admitted to. He appears to have admitted to assaulting uh, A. Jean Carroll. He appears to have uh, said that the reason or like inferred that the reason it, it was OK to do that is because of a misinterpreted interview she gave to Anderson Cooper. I mean, there's a lot in there uh, that goes toward the the defamation and not to forget the fact that he he said when and this is what really stuck out in my head, because remember when he his whole defense and the whole reason the DOJ is even considering representing him or being you know certified to represent him in this case is because he said he made these remarks during the course of his job, during during the course of yep. his duty as president uh, by and because he was answering a question from the press, which is the job of the president. Uh, a lot of people have some disagreements on whether or not that should be the way that it is. But that was the defense. But then he made the exact same defaming statements on Truth Social a, a few couple months ago, a few months ago, way after he was no longer the president, couldn't have been part of his job. And when Robbie Kaplan, great lawyer, by the way, incredible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> at, de- at deposing people asked, did was that you? Yes. Did anyone help you write that? Nope, that was all me. Did you? That's what you said on that. Yes, that was no one helped me write it. That was me. <laughs> That I seems I like uh, he's cornered now. It it I I love I love everything you've said so far, and um and I want to kind of give you uh my thoughts and the background of the law, and you know sort of merge that all in. Um, the overwhelming thing I felt as a lawyer, in addition to I mean, the overwhelming thing I thought in in reading this was just disgust at at Donald Trump as a, as a human being. Um, and wow. Uh, I mean, on a, on a level that is independent of my distaste for him politically, um, I, I, you know, look like we've had plenty of scumbags in the democratic party. And, uh, if, if, if this were someone I agreed with a hundred percent politically, I would be embarrassed on that. I don't think that's going to change any Trumpers, anything, but, um, but wow, what a, what a gross human, um, leaving that aside. 
I kind of went back into deposition mode. So I love <laughs> you pointing out Roberta Kaplan, uh, the very best in in the country at, at what she does. Right. Is is in bringing these sorts of lawsuits. And as I'm reading this transcript. I you immediately get a feel for what an unbelievably difficult witness Donald Trump is to depose. <sighs> Yeah. So independent, right? I've had I've had a large number of depositions, and I've had challenging depositions. I've had depositions, you know, in which uh, the the parties are, you know, coached within an inch of their lives to like not deviate from a particular script. And one of the great things about being pedantic and slow and boring, like I am in depositions is eventually you can get them off their script. And once you get them off their script, then they then those depositions become, you know, case winners for you. Um, it is really, really difficult to depose somebody who just asserts things that are crazy, right? Like that just as you go through, you can't ask the kind of, basic questions that are meant to, to lay a foundation because they're just going to say anything. Right. So I, it, I'm not sure why this is highlighted. This is the very, very, this is the first page. It's page 125 of the deposition. Uh, it's the first page that's ex excerpted in exhibit B. Uh, who highlighted but it? It actually is highlighted in the shared court listener, which it doesn't matter. But my point is, is that these, this is an excerpt that was pulled out because this was attached as Exhibit B to the party's joint case management plan. Right. OK. OK. Got yeah. It. Yeah. So one either E. Jean Carroll or Donald Trump thought that uh, that this was relevant and and just. As you as you listen, I mean, just imagine trying to be Roberta Kaplan in this, right? Yeah. <laughs> so she's walking through the stuff that Donald Trump has said, uh, and 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 this should be a very easy moment, right? Roberta Kaplan, question: I want to focus on the very last sentence of this nonsense that you've written, which says. Now, like everyone else, she, meaning Eugene Carroll, gets paid by a radical left-leaning publisher to say bad and untrue things. Answer: Yeah. Question, do you know who her publisher was? Answer, no, I just heard it was a publisher that did some very bad books on us. Question, I'll represent to you that her publisher was HarperCollins. Answer, yeah, and they haven't been great. Question, do you know who published your son-in-law Jared Kushner's book? Answer, well, it could be, but they've also published some very bad ones, too. And and then she just sort of gives up. Right. Like and, and rightfully so, because, look, a human being would have said, OK, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. it's Harper Collins. Harper Collins published Jared Kushner's book, uh, you know, make of that what you will. Right. Like a, a, a normal human being, you've kind of got them cornered there. Donald Trump is just like there's no purpose in continuing down that line of analysis. And I think most lawyers would not have the wherewithal to say to know when to punt on that. Right. Like it, that's the hardest thing to do because you feel like, OK, well, now this this asshole feels like he's gotten something over on me. Right. Like mm -hmm. I was going to get him to admit that's a stupid thing. And now he doesn't have to. Right. He's just a, yeah, it could be. But they publish some bad ones, too. Fine. <laughs> forget you we're we're moving on um so and i'll continue to give examples kind of over the course of 
uh, over the course of the show of just how obstructionist and how difficult it is. And so you then highlighted uh, pivoting amazingly to Truth Social and sort of playing to Trump's ego the uh, unbelievable crystal clear admissions that 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 Roberta Kaplan is able to get from Donald Trump by essentially, you know, taunting him. Right. Like the and that statement you posted, who wrote that statement? I did. You yourself. Yeah. Did you post the statement yourself? Yes. <laughs> like, and, and, I mean, just the kind of like, no, come on now. We both know you're not smart enough to have written that. Right. Like, <laughs> and and he's like, I 100 percent did. I wrote it. And I. And it's just it's just brilliant now. Yeah, right. That's how legal. that's how you get him. That's how you <laughs> you that's threaten that. him with like you're dumb and couldn't have possibly done this by yourself. <laughs> I, I I would be terrible at deposing Donald Trump. It would just it, it wouldn't work at all. And uh, uh, so I, 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 I tip my cap to uh, to Roberta Kaplan. You then also hit on the significance of this truth social statement, which is this is not simply a republication or a reaffirmation of the statements that Donald Trump made while he was in the White House in response to an interview question. These are independent and new statements that have the same legal effect. In other words, this is a brand new act of defamation while not in the White House because Donald Trump can't help himself and because he's used to facing no consequences for his entire miserable life. And so that that gets you around the question that is still being litigated, which is, as our friend Liz Dye puts it, whether Donald Trump was acting within the scope of his employment when he said that Eugene Carroll was too ugly for him to have raped. Um, it, it, when you put it that way, it's sort of obvious where you want the listener to come out. Uh, but but I want to tell you that, that that question, right, we've covered this on this show, we've covered it on opening arguments, the question about what covers the scope of job duties as the president is something that really hasn't been litigated very much. Uh, and in the operative case law in the D.C. Circuit. right? We've talked about the uh, Council on American Islamic Relations case re regarding a congressman who, you know, was asked in an interview and then sort of went into a lengthy, uh, you know, anti-Islamic tirade. Um, but that's it, why I loved some of the questions that the judges oh, were asking oh, oh, oh. Uh, on Bonk that, you know, they, yeah. they seem to really want to get to the bottom of litigating what is considered a private comment and what is considered part of your duties as president. And I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, I do too, because it's not clear. Right. And, and, you know, and you and I talked about this, I think, uh, because well, the, we talked about it because as the law stands it, and, and sorry it, to interrupt you, but as yeah, no, <laughs> for current precedent, as it stands, it's, not outside of the realm. It's it's actually well within the realm for for the Department of Justice and for Donald Trump's side to argue that he said these things within the scope of his employment. Uh, and now that it's being challenged by, I think, what I consider to be excellent lawyers and excellent attorneys. <laughs> and also, I kind of noticed that the Department of Justice wasn't arguing real hard. Uh, it feels like, I mean, they were arguing the point, because first of all, this this assertion was made by Bill Barr's Department of Justice, mm -hmm. and it's carried over now into this Department of Justice. And everything that happened in Bill Barr's Department of Justice 
We've seen this. This Department of Justice will carry that flag, but nothing else. They'll carry that flag, that, the facts that Bill Barr's DOJ put forward, but they won't add anything to it. We saw it in the memo for the Bill Barr 2019 uh, memo to discuss, but you know, deliberative processes for why Donald Trump didn't obstruct justice. And this DOJ could have made a very simple, very easy argument that I'm sure they knew they could make that they did not make. They simply made Bill Barr DOJ old argument and ended up losing and not appealing. Uh, And I, I don't think that this is necessarily on purpose. Other than they sat down and said, look, we got to preserve the institution. We're not going to give ourselves a black eye. We're not going to punch the DOJ in the face, no matter who was corruptly in charge of it or corruptly running it. But what we will do is we'll take their shit ass argument and run with it. And we aren't going to add anything better to it. And that that will show we are preserving, uh, you know, the DOJ and what they stood for, even though we think that they're probably wrong. But, you know, we're not going to go out of our way to fight for for this shit. That's the way I see it, but I could be totally wrong and and that might be complete bullshit, but that's what it feels like because I'm listening to the lawyers for DOJ argue here and I'm like, really, that's your, that's it? feel like your heart's in it. I I think that read is, I I think that's a very plausible read of the situation and and I just want to layer something on top of it, which is our broken legislature, right, which has the filibuster in the Senate uh, and is going to be more broken over the next two years with the Republican Congress, makes it imperative to strengthen the powers of the executive as much as possible, right, from the perspective of the executive, right, (laughs) from Joe Biden, who is going to be reelected or not on the basis of voters asking uh, the question, has he gotten enough stuff done? So not only do you have that kind of overall political tendency, but you have the the fact that you're the current president. And so, you know, so add together those two things. I think you're, like I said, correct in describing uh, the, the sort of moral dilemma going on. But I will tell you in general, right, it's 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 part of why these OLC memoranda on how you can't prosecute a sitting president. Well, they're they're all written by people who serve a sitting president. right? <laughs> like there's a yeah. tremendous amount of self-interest that goes on. And, and we should not hesitate to identify that self-interest when, you know, when it's our guy as opposed to the former guy. Um, but but I think that it is fair to say uh, that the Biden position corporately, right, across every executive department that we've seen since the start of the administration has been uh, one of not uh, of being willing to take stances that are compatible with a reduction in power of the executive branch. And, um, and that, that's, that's incredibly noteworthy. Right. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad you, you point that out. So you wait. flagged <laughs> yeah. it, I mean, unless you want to do sort of a little bit more on that. Um, no, no, I was gonna, I, I was gonna say, yeah. And, and now I want to know, I'm interested in your thoughts on, on, first of all, if you could just give a little bit of background on the multiple lawsuits that have been consolidated here, because I think there could be a little confusion. At least there was for me, the original defamation suit is in here. Is there a new defamation suit based on what was posted on truth social? And it has the, uh, the, the November 24th lawsuit pursuant to the new New York law about assault victims 
is that also been filed and is now consolidated in this lawsuit? What are what are we looking at that's part of what is being argued on Bonk here? Yeah, ab- absolutely correct. So let's break that down. The first lawsuit, which is now being described in the in the pleadings as Carol one. Right. And this is kind of classic uh, lawyerisms that, you know, you just stick uh, Roman numerals on the end of it when you have multiple parallel pleadings was filed in state court in New York. And then Donald Trump removed that to federal court. Right. So. Uh, for all of you will hear uh, Donald Trump complain about Judge Lewis Kap- Kaplan because uh, his incompetent attorneys over at Alina Haba's workshop for the intellectually underfed like, <laughs> I, 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 are, are tripping over themselves with their own stupidity here. Uh, this is the forum Donald Trump chose, right? Uh, Roberta Kaplan filed the suit in state court. Donald Trump removed it to federal court on the basis of he lives in Florida now, right? That Carol one lawsuit, uh, was, has as the, the gravamen of its allegations, only a claim of libel about Donald Trump statements in June of 2019 while he was president. Um, it obviously could not include, a claim based on the underlying rape itself, uh, because uh, as everyone agrees, such a claim would almost certainly have been time barred at the time that the case was filed. But then the law changed. And so in 2022, right, just last year, New York enacted the Adult Survivors Act and the Adult Survivors Act, people who were allegedly sexually abused as adults were given a new one year time period to sue their alleged abusers. Right. So waves that statute of limitations. And then Eugene Carroll filed a new lawsuit. Uh, Trump's lawyers, uh, you know, Alina Haba sort of played this. Well, we don't know who's going to represent Donald Trump in that suit. And Judge Kaplan was like, well, it's going to get consolidated into this one. So you better figure it out, (laughs) Ms. Haba. Uh, And then they, you know, very quickly were like, it's going to be us because no one else will represent this person anymore. So uh, she brought Carol, what's called Carol 2, to recover damages. and, And that Carol 2 suit has two counts of action. Right. So Carol, so Carol one is the original defamation. Carol two is under the Adult Survivors Act. It, it, it's both. It is uh, the claim for the alleged rape under the Adult Survivors Act, and for additional libelous statements made by Donald Trump social. on Truth Social on October twelfth, twenty twenty. Okay, so we have two right. suits. One of them is one thing. One of them is a consolidation of the other thing, and all three are now consolidated into one. That's exactly right. And the reason for that is because they are operative, that there is the same common nucleus of operative law and facts. As the court put it, the central issue in both Carol 1 and Carol 2 is exactly the same, whether Mr. Trump raped Ms. Carol. If he did not, then Ms. Carol's sexual assault claim in Carol 2 and her libel claims in both cases likely would fail. If he did, then little would remain in either case except possibly a few minor issues related to Mr. Trump's statements and determination of damages. So it makes complete sense to consolidate the cases as they have now been consolidated. Yeah, and you and I talked about the fact that they would probably end up being consolidated and 
for that very reason, for exactly why you just explained how cases become consolidated in the first place. So, yeah. Yep. And then uh, we're not going to talk about it because it's a separate legal document would require going through it. But then Trump moved to dismiss the consolidated complaint. He argues uh, that the uh, Adult Survivors Act violates the due process clause of the New York State Constitution. It does not. Uh, and he argued that the libel claim is legally insufficient because Eugene Carroll failed to allege uh, special damages under New York law. And uh, I, I will just tell you that uh, Judge Judge Kaplan, no relation, uh, no conflict of interest, uh, said both of these arguments are, quote, without merit, end quote. So uh, we're not going to talk about that. But <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I love the succinct nature of that. You know, when yep. when you and I talk about some of the some of the great uh, judge responses that this one's kind of up there. No merit. You have no merit. Yeah, this is a, a get out. And, and look, <laughs> the due process. I Again, I don't want to get too far down the rabbit trail here. Uh, it, it I'm about to make fun of Alina Haba and her little Muppet sidekick, right? It's it's Haba Madayo and they're both in this deposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're they're like it is Tweedledum and Tweedledumber as far as I can tell. Um, <laughs> it, 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 so I so I want to say so. So they're idiots and they're bad at the law. Yeah. And we some should of make those, fun of them. Uh, some of those Haba <laughs> arguments, by the way, in, in the on banc hearing were just absolutely like, wow. You, I, it, did you say that? Did those words come out of your mouth to judges it, in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals? That's amazing. It, it's an insult to my profession that she and I have the same job title. So uh, so I want to say, <laughs> bracketing that, that the argument that the Adult Survivors Act violates due process has some intuitive appeal. Right. The idea is when you have a statute of limitations that gives you certainty once you are now outside of that period of of limitations upon which you can rely. Right. And so particularly in the commercial context, that's in which I'm familiar with these things. Right. Like once you've gone X number of years past a certain date, then you can tell your client if they're on either side. Right. If they have received a threatening, I'm going to sue you about this if you don't do this. And then you don't. Right. Well, you know, you know, if it's a two year statute or a three year statute, whatever, once that time has elapsed, you know that that I'm going to sue you threat is no longer valid. Right. Or on the flip side, if you're the the one who's made allegations and they haven't done anything to make it better for you over the, the three year period, that's the time when as a business you can sort of write that off. So intuitively, the idea you can go back and retroactively change the rules, I get why you would want to say that it is a due process violation. Uh, uh, we're talking about sexual assault. And so there's a very, very compelling public interest. And on the other hand, like the reliance interest, we're not really talking about like, you know, you have to maintain tax records or whatever. Right. So uh, that 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 I guess I just want to say that 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 was not a bottom of the barrel argument. It was still wrong. Uh, but, you know, in terms of the things that we're going to make fun of uh, Alina Haba and uh, and and uh, I, I, Bruce Madayo, I don't even know what Madayo's uh, first <laughs> name is. Um, but um, it it's it's astonishing to me 
how, how bad they are. Like there are multiple times in this deposition in the in the selected transcripts. So we don't have the full deposition transcripts, right? We just have the excerpts that were attached uh, to the particular order in and in and why B. is that? Why did we not get the entire deposition? Um. So that's that's a really really that's an excellent question. The parties have a confidentiality order in place, and that confidentiality order in place uh, is that the the depositions would be sealed, would be confidential. Um, again, this is the kind of thing that uh, I am familiar with in business, your commercial practice all the time. Uh, but typically, you know, the the rules are that anything that you do in a, a proceeding, right, is open to the public, right? The public has sunshine laws, right? We have an interest in observing the judicial process. Depositions are not usually filed on the court docket, right? You Those those are conducted by and between the parties with no intervention by the courts. It's the parties, their lawyers in a courtroom. Here it was o- over Zoom, and that's becoming more and more of a standard practice uh, kind of post-COVID. Uh, I I'm still a big fan of of actually getting together in the room, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, And you have a court reporter and a transcript is generated, but that is not made. That's not filed the way your motions are filed. Right. It's not made a part of the docket. And and so in federal court. Right. That means it's not available on Pacer. Um, Then portions of that were attached to the party's joint case management order. And the question became, should those exhibits be presumptively sealed or should they be unsealed? Right. And that that was actually the subject of uh, another pleading. Right. And and Judge Kaplan ordered that portion unsealed because the only argument that was re- that was really made was Trump argued that he relied upon the confidentiality of his testimony because there was a protective order presumptively sealing all of discovery. Uh, and then the court said, uh, yeah, but that order itself put you on notice. It said, notwithstanding the designation of material as confidential in discovery there is no presumption that such confidential discovery material will be filed under seal the fact that information is subject to a confidentiality agreement between litigants is not by itself a valid basis to overcome the presumption of access to judicial documents so long-winded way of saying trump thought everything was going to be sealed and no one was going to see what a weasel he is uh but the moment that you attach something to a pleading uh, the the public has a presumptive right to access that and to see what it is that you've said in connection with that argument. Okay, um, so that's one of those things where you opened the door here. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, again, look, uh, uh, layer my familiarity with it. Uh, suppose this was, <laughs> this was, and I don't I don't know why all lawyers use the like eleven secret herbs and spices for Kentucky Fried Chicken as our like go-to example of business trade secrets, but we always do. It's weird. Um, But yeah, if I'm representing KFC and we discuss the 11 herbs and spices in the definition, in the deposition, then uh, I can have that line of the transcript, right? I can say, oh, we're about to discuss highly protected confidential business trade secrets. And I want this part redacted and off the record, right? And then, right, 
you would not be in the position of Trump, who just said, well, everything was supposed to be confidential, so I don't understand why you're unsealing it, right? Well, that's not good enough. But saying, hey, uh, this is a protected business secret that we keep <laughs> under lock and key. He's I'm not going to have any rando go view it on the Internet is a good argument. He's real big on the blanket stuff. Uh, like when he talks about executive privilege, he just wants to be, it's all executive privilege. No, you really actually have to argue that on a case-by-case basis. He, he's, he seems to like the blanket immunity, blanket, leave me alone, blanket stuff. And sometimes the blanket doesn't cover you. Um, yeah. <laughs> I want to ask Can- an, another qu- uh, question, too. And you were going to finish making a point uh, before I interrupted you about that thing. But we do no, have to, no, no. Totally we do have to take a quick break. Oh. So <laughs> why don't we do that really quick? And then we'll come back and finish the road you were headed down before I jumped in with, with my question. And then I have another question for you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, Andrew, what, what what road were you headed down before I waylaid you? <laughs> I, I was just going to talk about how terrible uh, Alina Haba and Muppet Madayo are as lawyers. And, and, and here is the example that just uh, any lawyer reading this burst out laughing. So <laughs> there's a line of questioning by Roberta Kaplan. This is page 154 of the Trump transcript. It's very near the bottom of, of the Exhibit B that was made public. And Roberta Kaplan is asking about the edited video that was also uploaded to Truth Social. And so the questions are question. So you don't deny that you posted that video on Truth Social as well. No, not at all. Which video are you talking about? I I have not seen uh, this video, but but from the description from the questions. Right. um, There are it, it looks like it's a hit piece on E. Jean Carroll that's put into video format. There are bar graphs on there. I, I I don't know. I can't find what it is. I'm not on Truth Social. I, I did go look for it. But video that is potentially relevant to the defamation claims. Okay. And the question is, so you don't deny you posted that on Truth Social? No, not at all. And whose idea was it to? A Trump interrupts is mine. <laughs> Create that video yours. Okay. Who was involved in the creation of that video? And then... Muppet Madayo says, objection. And and Trump says, it's done in-house. And Roberta Kaplan looks at Madayo and says, what's your objection, sir? And he says, it's an objection based on relevance. And Roberta Kaplan, <laughs> the very best understated line in the entire deposition, says that th- there's no relevance objections at depositions. <laughs> Oh. And, and and it's true. You cannot object on the basis of relevance during a deposition. OK, mm-hmm. um, you, you can you can object uh, as to the form of the question. Right. If I ask you a compound question or a leading question or something where it's not clear what a yes might be. So you always didn't never say that. Right. right. Like you can yeah. object to or that and preserve and that answered. For the Right. Uh, you you can, can object for asked and answered. That's a form of a form objection. Right. Yeah. You can object and instruct the witness not to answer if it would reveal attorney client or other privilege. Uh, and if the witness is there in a corporate capacity. Right. Uh, you can object to things as being beyond the scope of the deposition. Right. Hey, this person was brought here to talk about accounting matters. 
you're asking about marketing. That's not his job. He's not prepared. He doesn't bind the company when it comes to uh, marketing. So don't ask about that. Right. Um, but in a general deposition, you, you, you can't object to relevance because depositions are supposed to be a fishing expedition. Right. Like that's why we do them. Um, and, and, and the idea that you would say that is just reveal somebody who isn't smart, who doesn't know the law, who does just, so there's no relevance <laughs> objections. Every, no, what you can't see Andrew's face right now, everyone, yeah. but it's bright red. It's, it's very veins angry. everywhere. I'm about to hulk out because flames, the, flames yeah. on the sides of my face, heaving, <laughs> breathing, heaving breaths. Yeah, that's this is a like, well, we should have a discussion about bird law sometime kind of objection, right? Like, (laughs) and so then, so then Muppet Medallion comes back with, well, to the form of the question, (laughs) and then, uh, which is just, uh, yeah, okay, you're right, I'm a moron. And then Roberta Kaplan comes back and is like, who was involved in creating that video? (laughs) Um, so I, I love, I just had to share that little demonstration because when i tell you these lawyers suck like i I, sometimes i don't think it comes out clearly enough just how badly these lawyers suck so now you had a real law question thing i do a real law question thing that was real law it's great to know uh you know that that that's very important that you can't uh object to relevance in a deposition uh, and it makes me want to go read the rules of deposition. So let's talk about the the big question on it, uh, the, that I keep getting over and over again. Uh, how is Trump allowed to not supply a DNA sample? Are we not there yet, I guess? Yeah. It, so we're, we're not there yet uh, because this is preliminary. So this is the case has survived a motion to dismiss. The briefing schedule that led to the attachment of this Exhibit B uh, is uh, in connection with setting the deadlines for conducting discovery, right, for doing additional depositions, for seeking additional documents. Because, again, now, right, remember, uh, Carol One was focused only on the 2019 statement. And so... All of the things, all of the discovery that was collected in connection with that case uh, would have been limited in time only to things that are relevant to that 2019 statement. And you could reasonably argue, uh, certainly there's a core aspect of the the facts that were alleged with respect to uh, the, the, the the assault back in, in, uh, in the 1990s, um, but you wouldn't have been able to ask for a lot of evidence directly related to that because, uh, you know, Trump would argue uh, that that the that the burden uh, of that production plus that the uh, any potential relevance from that production. That's a that's an area where where you can make a, a relevance uh, objection. You can say uh, that the uh, that the, the burden of production uh, and the the lack of potential admissibility of that evidence uh, is weighs strongly in favor of not requiring me to go back and produce it. But now, Does it? Um, for a twenty nineteen, so <laughs> I, this is a lot to unpack, right? Y- you heard Judge Kaplan say 
the core issue in both cases is, you know, did Trump rape Carol? Um, if I were defending Donald Trump and God help me, I never will. Uh, but if I were Trump's lawyer, it, it my argument in Carol one right before the Adult Survivors Act would be um, that that the question of whether the underlying statement is true or not is an affirmative defense to be raised by my client. Right. And I get to decide whether to put that in evidence or not. Not you get to decide whether to put that in evidence or not. Right. OK. In other words, that I could always concede to, uh, you know, if I if I decline to produce it, I could say we concede to the statement's falsity. Right. For purposes of adjudicating this litigation. Right. And 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 presumably that's what you would want to do. Right. You would want to say, hey, the only reason you would have for inquiring about the assault is to establish the element of defamation that says it's a false statement. Right. That And and what we're going to say is for purpose of this litigation, we will concede that it that uh, that the statements that he made uh, were false insofar as they related to denying uh, having sexually assaulted uh, uh, Ms. Carroll. But that so, doesn't come up in the other case. That doesn't it, Well, now cover... if, they, if they concede to that, right, they yeah. are now conceding to count one under the Adult Survivors Act. Exactly. Right? So, so now they can't just stipulate that for the record. That's, that's an important legal change. So I'm really, really glad you asked the question. Uh, let me go back and pick up, pick up two threads. Uh, you were asking about the, um, the DNA sample, and I, I will tell you that that question really then borders on, right? Like the primary argument against being compelled to give a DNA sample, uh, even in a civil context, is uh, Fifth Amendment, you know, right against self-incrimination. And the question is, uh, is that being compelled to give testimony? And I can tell you, I I have never litigated that particular question, uh, but it's it's not a hundred to zero, right? It's not... And um, then we're talking in a civil case. Yeah, yeah. It's not conclusively decided oh. sort of either way. So uh, you can I, plead that, the fifth against your spunk. Yeah, you absolutely can. You can you can say, right, because think about it. Uh, remember, you can plead the fifth in a civil context. You get a um, negative inference, possibly. You, it, sometimes they can draw an adverse inference from that. But uh, I think, Which I would <laughs> I think Trump would would rather have an adverse inference drawn against him than provide his DNA evidence. And you can infer adversely whatever you want from this podcast on the basis of that. So uh, but that issue will be litigated. Right. Because uh, the Eugene Carroll's lawyer, Robert Kaplan, will ask for that. uh, And Trump will fight that until the ends of the earth, obviously. now, and then, oh, sorry, uh, go ahead. Kind of the, the 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 very last thread that I want to make sure that that we hit, and maybe you were going to ask it again. You you flagged this back in the introduction, and <laughs> and I remembered it, but but we've we've taken a long and winding road here. Um, it it is crucial, and this has been reported in other news outlets, but 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 I think it's it is crucial uh, to emphasize how much Donald Trump lies in connection with the Anderson Cooper interview that right. Eugene Carroll did. And he, he, he describes that. Okay. And, 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 and again, I, 
I cannot overemphasize. I I didn't I haven't seen the original Anderson Cooper interview. So I went and pulled up the transcript. And in fact, I think I'm going to start with the transcript because it, it shows you just uh, what, it, what a complete liar under oath Donald Trump is. So um, here's this interview. This is just after uh, E. Jean Carroll has described uh, the, the assault that occurred to her uh, that. And, and uh, Anderson Cooper says, you don't use the word rape. And Eugene Carroll says, sexual violence is in every country, in every strata of society. And I just feel that so many women are undergoing sexual violence. Mine was short. I got out. I'm happy now. I'm moving on. And I think of all the women who are enduring constant sexual violence. So this one incident, this one, what, three minutes in this little dressing room, I just say it's a fight. That way I'm not the victim, right? I'm not the victim. Cooper. You don't feel like a victim, Eugene Carroll. I, I was not thrown on the ground and ravished, which the word rape carries so many sexual connotations. That's just this was not sexual. It just hurt. It just Cooper says, I think most people think of rape as a, it's a violent assault. It's not. And then Carol begs to to, to, to to differ with Anderson Cooper. She says, I think most people think of rape as being sexy. And then Anderson Cooper Gets and Donald Trump thinks that like there's a huge conspiracy, but you know he's a TV guy. He gets the notice of it's time to go to commercial, and he says, "Okay, let's take a short break." And E. Jean Carroll is still answering. She says, "They think of the fantasies," and Cooper says, "Well, we're going to take a quick break. If you can stick around, we'll talk more on the other side." And then uh, she says, "You're fascinating to talk to." Uh, they 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 cut to the break, and then they come back, and it's pretty clear that. Uh, Anderson Cooper has said, okay, well, you know, we got three minutes more in this segment. Let's make sure that we cover A, B, and C. Because unlike you and I on the show, where, you know, we could talk in an open-ended way and I can go down as many rabbit trails as you like. You're not Anderson Cooper for seven minutes, right? You got to hit absolutely everything. But um, but there you have it. That's what was said. Anderson Cooper said, uh, I think most people think of, of rape as being violent. And E. Jean Carroll uh a, a a a survivor a, a a you know my thoughts on Eugene Carroll. Um, she says I I think you're not. <laughs> she doesn't quite say respect respectfully. You're thinking about this like a man, uh, but that's kind of yeah. how I read it, you know, and and take seriously. Well, it's obviously it's obvious to me. She she was like. It's like when I, you know, people say, oh, you know, you're a victim of rape. And I say, I prefer to use the word survivor. And here's why I prefer to use the word survivor. Mm -hmm. Anderson Cooper said you were raped. And she goes, I, I prefer to use the word that it was a fight uh, or an assault because I don't think rape applies because I think too many people like rape these days. So that's where it came from. That's her. That's the context. That's her meaning. And, and I, you know, I understand it. Uh, I, you know, I understand where she's coming from on that. I, I have a differing, I call it rape, uh, but yeah. I understood her point, but to conflate it in the way Donald Trump did in the deposition is absolutely incorrect. And, and, and now, and, and, and maybe I should have reiterated the content warning. now, I definitely want to reiterate it here. Cause I'm going to read the gross things that Donald Trump has said. Um, 
he, <laughs> and I'm not going to even read this part, Jesus, because it's just there's so much layered nonsense on top of garbage in his truth social. He says, uh, I didn't I didn't swoon her. And Roberta Kaplan is like, who the fuck talks that way? <laughs> and, uh, and 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 the answer is Donald Trump. So, you know, question what what does swooned her mean? And Trump's like, well, I. I was going to say, you know, after, but I, I thought it's a nicer word. Right. Um, so, uh, so there you go. Uh, swooned her means, you know, had sexual intercourse. Right. Um, despite the fact that as, uh, Roberta Kaplan points out, I, I looked up the word swoon in the dictionary and it means to faint with extreme emotion. That's not what you meant here. Is it? <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's like, and, and, and so then Trump's first response is, well, that's sort of what she said I did to her. She fainted with great emotion. She actually indicated that she loved it. OK, she loved it until the commercial break. In fact, I think she said it was sexy, didn't she? Didn't she? She said it was very sexy to be raped. Didn't she say that? And and I just read to you what she actually said, which no sane person could interpret what E. Jean Carroll actually said as meaning what Donald Trump said it did here. Yeah. Um, and and I want to tell you, this is just another kind of shout out to to Roberta Kaplan as a lawyer. When a witness says something preposterously stupid, it does sort of throw you. Right. You're like, wait, did you just say what I think you said? Right. Like because you're expecting you plan out your questions, you plan out contingency. Okay, if he says yes, I'm going to do this. If he says no, I'm going to do this. That's how you plan out a deposition of a normal person. You don't expect in the middle they're going to scream like bananas. Right. It's just so good on her. She says. So, sir, I just want to confirm it's your testimony that E. Jean Carroll said that she loved being sexually assaulted by you. Answer. Well, based on her interview with Anderson Cooper, I believe that's what took place. And we can define that. You'll have to show that. I'm sure you're going to show that. But she was interviewed by Anderson Cooper. And I think she said that rape was sexy, which it's not, by the way. But I think she said that rape was sexy. And it was she actually said things that were very strange. And then she was a different person after the when he said, we'll take a break right now. We're going to take a break right now. He didn't like what she was saying. He was very upset with. And then she came back. She was a much different woman in the second half, so to speak. Did now, he just say, yeah, I raped her, but she thinks that's sexy? That's what it sounds like to me. It, it, it feels like the, he's teeing that up as an alternative explanation. Defense, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. Like, like that's yeah. going to be his thing. Well, yeah. if, you know, sure, maybe, who knows what happened, but she says she likes it. And, and, and again, notice... Uh, I have I have flagged for you at the beginning how difficult to witness Donald Trump is that this all of his answers are like this, right? Like it is just my there's no you go back and parse that. There's not a yes. There's not a no. There's not a I, there's just a page of word salad. So again, Kaplan comes back and says, so again, just so the testimony is clear because you tend to give long answers. Is it your testimony, sir, that on Anderson Cooper, she she being Eugene Carroll indicated on the Anderson Cooper show that she loved it. Answer. If you see the front part of her interview, the first part of her interview before Anderson in a panic because she wasn't saying the right thing for him in CNN, it was very hostile. In a panic, he said, we're going to station break. I think he said it twice. 
Um, not, not, not the case. <laughs> she, he said it once. She kept talking. He said, okay, well, we'll be back after the break. Uh, you, you heard word for word what the transcript was, right? He wanted her to stop. He wanted her to stop talking. If you watch that interview, yeah, she said a lot of things in that interview, things that make her into a total liar. Mm. Again, we've now taken two cracks at this. Donald Trump has spoken for two pages and has not answered. So Kaplan gives it a third, right? And so the question I'm asking you is, did she say in that interview that she loved being sexually assaulted by you? Answer, well, she said something to that effect. I mean, you'll have to take a look at the interview itself. I believe she said rape was sexy, to which Anderson Cooper is dying. He's saying, let's get to a commercial break immediately. I think you better watch the interview. I'm sure you have, but you better watch the interview. So effect number four. In the interview, when Ms. Carroll talked about rape being sexy, isn't it true that she said that's a view that other, that many other people hold? Answer, oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. All I know is I believe she said rape is sexy or something to that effect. But you'll have to watch the interview. It's been a while. And, and again, this is what liars do. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> swing number five. And just to clarify, I, I, I think you said a few minutes earlier that you used the word swooned as a synonym for you said the F word for sexual intercourse. Answer. Yeah, that's because that's what she said. Question. What do you mean? She never used the word swooned. Answer. No. She said that I did something to her that never took place. There was no anything. I know nothing about this nut job. Right. Hmm. And 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 again, Notice how, you know, that that that's sort of where we're left with. Right. At, at in, in the in the the full colloquy here. Right. Five swings. Uh, the closest answer, the answer that would allow you uh, at, at, at a trial to put up uh, contradictory testimony on the screen uh, would be. Did she say in that interview that she loved being sexually assaulted by you? Answer, well, she said something to that effect, right? So uh, you will be able to, at trial, have the cross-examination of question. And, and in fact, you believe that Ms. Carroll here loved being sexually assaulted by you. And when he says, never said that, you'll be able to say, oh, well, do you recall when I deposed you, Mr. Trump? Yes. <laughs> let's put up the deposition, you know, let's put up that deposition testimony and you'll be able to put up those lines there. But but notice there's no clear yes. Right. There's a there, he implies yes. Five different times over three pages. He never quite says it. And and I don't and I again, I don't mean this as criticism. N no lawyer on earth could have gotten a clean answer uh, out of no, I, th I think his number one rule in depositions is never use the word yes and never use the word no. Yeah, uh, I think that's right. That's just what, what he's been told. And that's just what he does. Uh, I have one final question before we get out of here. If the Department of Justice wins their case that, you know, that uh, his what he said while he was president is part of his job. Uh, two two questions about that. If the DOJ wins certification here, does that set a precedent a and or will it be just narrowly for this case a decision for this case and uh, b would that dismiss the entire suit or just the part of it that includes carol one uh let's answer those in reverse order b it would only dismiss out carol one right okay. the statements on truth social are not so for example there is a live question about republication of defamatory statements versus reaffirming those defamatory statements, which 
the the second part very clearly causes the clock for statute of limitations to start running anew, right? Um, it, it it's less clear if so. For example, uh, you know, and these issues have come up in in connection with the uh, Alex Jones uh, statements about uh, Sandy Hook. They've come up in connection with the uh, Devin Nunes statements um, in connection with his uh, alleged farm. Um, and and so there, there's a lot of litigation over, uh, you know, is this where did this act begin? And the law is super clear that if you talk about in a new way that previous article, right, that that's not just, oh, you know, that happened to pop up again through no fault of your own or whatever. That is a new statement, new cause of action, newly defamatory matter that occurred in 2022 when Donald Trump was not president, even though, you know, he might believe that he's still president and Alina Abba might believe that he's still president. So only would apply, only would dismiss out Carol one. It was unbelievably stupid thing for Trump to do. Uh, but, you know, par for the course. Right. Uh, but back to the first part of the question, the certified question, right, as to the precedent what, part. Yeah. Yeah. What counts as the job duties of the president? It is difficult for me to imagine a decision that could be narrowly tailored in this circumstance, right? Because you, ultimately you have to answer the question of is answering a question about uh, something that has not nothing to do with the office of the presidency uh, during the normal press gaggle. Is that uh, is that part of the, the president's job or not? And the, and the, Analogy that I would give is, uh, you know, the 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 Paula Jones uh, and uh, uh, Jones v. Clinton litigation, right? That like uh, ultimately there was no way to answer the question: Hey, can you make a sitting president sit for a civil deposition in connection with conduct that occurred before he entered the White House? And ultimately, the Supreme Court was like, "Yeah, we can do that. It's important not to harass the president. The president's super busy, but." It doesn't have an absolute immunity from being a part of the the judicial system, the the, the justice system. And so, you know, that ruling, uh, the Jones v. Clinton ruling, has shaped the contours of much of what we've seen uh, in connection with Donald Trump. Um, you know, has sort of set the precedent that not notwithstanding the fact that Trump's gaggle of buffoon lawyers argue at every opportunity that he has absolute immunity for being the president that no you don't right like that president that ship sailed a long time ago so hard to say speculating on a certified question uh but i i really think that it's it's difficult that it will be difficult to come up with an opinion that only applies to trump and does not in fact sort of describe you know when presidents are on the job and when they're not on the job and that's either way right you know it, it could come out uh, a sort of you're always on the job it could come out no when you you know take the opportunity to answer personal questions you're not on the job anymore um i could i could see both of those happening Okay, interesting. Yeah, because I, because I, yeah, I, I was wondering about that legally. I was like, can you just say he? That's not part of his job, but only in this particular case. But it, it would have to apply to other things, and I suppose that those would be litigated after the fact, if you know, if they needed to be, uh, if a question came up that sort of fell within that decision again. And then, of course, we have to remember that uh, don't those. 
decisions from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals only apply to the D.C. Circuit and not other circuits? Yeah, that's right, although it is very difficult to imagine how a case against the president— A political president, defamation case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would arise uh, and go up, you know, in California or, you know, go up to the Anywhere Ninth else. Circuit or whatever. Right. Yeah, so. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much. That is our show for today. Uh, if you have the stomach for it, uh, read that. Uh, read those deposition uh, transcripts. Uh, if you, again, if you have the stomach for it, it's very, it's dizzying and annoying and d- hard to follow. And I think that that's by design uh, from the Trump side. Yep. Um, so, uh, any any final thoughts before we get out of here for the week, other than. Uh, Boy, it's going to be a busy, busy news week this week. <laughs> I think I think that's right. I I sure hope you're a two dollar patron and you're going to get our uh, midweek update or end of the week update, uh, because um, uh, I I have a feeling there there will be some developments and some threads that we need to pick up on. And uh, those have been a lot of fun. And uh, I, I, I can't wait until we get together to do our next one. Yeah, I do. I love those. The unedited, raw, unscripted yeah. for, for patrons. Did we shout out our new patrons on this show today? Uh, we did not. So to, to close us out, a big thank you to our new patrons, uh, Clytemnestra Tynerides, Carol Hatem, uh, or Hatem. Uh, I, I like the idea that it's uh, the other. Uh, Suzanne Ashworth, Michael Elliott, Christine Ingleton, Alan Jewell, E. Hodgson, Ginger and Chris, Kareen Vowles. Eat a bug, Mark Meadows. <laughs> Eat a bug, Mark Meadows. Jim Butt Trusty. Uh, Jennifer Reyna, Debbie Jackson, and AC. Thank you all so much. And again, you want to support the show, head on over patreon.com slash IL45pod. That's A-I-S-L-E-4-5-P-O-D. Give us a buck. We'll shout you out. Give us two bucks. We'll give you a bonus episode every week. Give us more than two bucks and we will love you forever and uh, occasionally uh, give you some repeated Hall of Fame shout outs and all kinds of other great stuff. Uh, but uh, that's how that's how you keep the show on the air. This is um, we we greatly appreciate all of our patrons, everybody who helps makes this possible. Yeah, we need you. And thank you for coming through. We'll be back next week. I've been Allison Gill. I'm Andrew Torres. And this is Clean Up on Aisle 45. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joel Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. M-S-W-Media. <laughs>